the end of the service. I want to thank Danielle for putting together the uh, kids' choir and leading this morning. And uh, all she not only leads choirs, can lead worship. She moves furniture. She lights fires. Really, anything you need done, uh, Danielle can do. And thanks, to Pastor Connor and Pastor Mark and Friendship for uh, for uh, allowing us to be a part of this, for joining us in this, and uh, just for the cooperation that we. See there. We are a church that is serious about making disciples of the next generation, and we are blessed to be a part of a community of churches that is serious about making disciples of the next generation. And we are not competitors as churches, we are co-laborers, and so we're thankful to be able to do things like we do today uh, to really illustrate that. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians 6. And it is that time of the year that we are all excited about, right? The time of year that we all eagerly await. You mark it on your calendar, we decorate, we get excited. Yes, church, it's the time of the year where we finally finish our study in Ephesians. We've been here for a minute, uh, and I'm pumped about it. Uh, It's a good time. On Christmas Eve and Christmas morning, we'll be looking at the meaning Uh, of the reality created by that phrase, God with us, Emmanuel, and how that's uniquely demonstrated in the Christmas story. So that's where we're headed next Saturday and next Sunday. We hope you're with us for that. And then in January, we'll pick back up in the book of Exodus. But for now, we have one final text in the book of Ephesians to study together. We're going to read Ephesians 6, 18-24. I'll read it out loud. Uh, I invite you to follow along in your own copy of God's Word. There's some black Bibles in the pew rack right there in front of you. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can join us in that one. After I read, we'll pray together and ask God to guide our time in His Word, and then we will dig in. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18, reading through the end of the letter, Paul writes, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how how we are and to encourage your heart. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me over the reading of it? Father, we come anxious to be met by Your Holy Spirit this morning. God, it's not any word that I might say or any words cooked up by man that can that can aliven dead hearts, that can change the disposition of any of the hearts in this room, Lord. It is only Your Holy Spirit. And so we pray today that, God, Your Holy Spirit would meet us in Your Holy Word. Father, we pray that that You would cause it to come alive in such a way that it changes our affections, it helps us to see our sin and confess it, it helps us to recognize the duty that you have given us as your people and to live it out. and empowers that as well, Father. So we pray that your word would work today. That it would work deep in our hearts. That it would convict. That it would encourage. 
that it would make us aware of our sin, that it would make us aware of our need, that it would cause us to grow in love for you and in love for one another. God, make us, we pray, doers of your word, not hearers only. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whose birth we eagerly anticipate celebrating in the days ahead. Jesus Christ, we pray it in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, when we've spent as much time in a particular book as we have Ephesians, we run some risks. The text can become academic. It's us studying history together. This, and this was a, a real man writing a real letter to real people. It, it is that. It's historical. But it's much more. It can become behavioral. There are these moral truths that we've been studying on a week-to-week basis. This duty of the Christian that Paul has been talking about in these last three chapters of Ephesians. So it can become duty-bound. And there are a lot of moral truths here, but we can't divorce those moral truths from their original context. In fact, there's, uh, it's so much more impactful is God's Word when we realize that these truths have just as much meaning for you and I today as they did almost 2,000 years ago when they were read by their original audience. We can't forget that what we're studying is an intensely personal letter. It was written by a man named Paul to a group of people he loved. Paul, Paul and the church at Ephesus had been through some stuff together. They had a background. Paul had almost died in Ephesus. He had preached there. He knew these people. He loved these people. They had been through it. And you have those people in your life, don't you? Maybe you don't see them all the time. Hey, this is the time of year when we get back together with a lot of those people. Maybe they're your old military buddies that you see once a year, and when you do, you pick your relationship right back up where you left off. Maybe they're your old teammates, the people at work who are there. And, you know, they've been there a while. They've been there all the way back to when that terrible boss was there, and you survived him together. You guys have something in common. The other kids that you survived that evil algebra teacher with, you guys have a bond for the rest of your life. Maybe you were that evil algebra teacher or the mean PE teacher who finally retired and now you all get to rejoice and have fun together. You've got something, you have a bond. Paul had a bond with these people. He's writing probably around 61, 62 AD from house arrest as a prisoner in Rome back to these people who he cared about intensely and he was likely never going to see them again. Most scholars believe that he died there in Rome. But even if he didn't die in Rome, his plan was to go on to Spain. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. It might as well be on the other side of the planet. And so the words that we just read are very likely the last thing that Paul ever wrote to these people that he loved so dearly. What if you had to do that? What if you had to write something to the people most important to you in your family. And it was going to be the last thing that you ever wrote to them. What would you say? What are the things that you would camp on? What would you want them to know? That's actually a question one of our church members took to heart a few years ago. Corey Harper wrote this little book called The Book You Leave Behind. It's a, it's a questionnaire memoir that you leave behind for those that you love. And he asks some great questions in the book. All the basic stuff, right? Like, what was your childhood like? Where have you lived? How did you meet your spouse? And that's a question you can answer in you know, 30 minutes or six seasons or whatever, how long it takes you to answer that question. 
It asks some more abstract questions that I really appreciate. Like, would you be a good witness to a crime? I don't know what, Corey, uh, what inspired Corey to write that particular question, but I'm going to ask him later. Or, what was your superpower? Some really neat things that you can write and you fill in the answers and you leave, these, you leave this book behind for your family. I love this quote from the back. It says, this book that you hold in your hands has the potential to be the most important physical thing that a person can leave behind. The book itself might not be worth much money, but once filled out, the content of its pages are priceless and will live on from generation to generation. The content of its pages are priceless and will live on from generation to generation. It's just words, right? But it's memories that you can write down. And my point isn't to get you to buy Corey's book. Uh, he did not pay me to do this. This is not an endorsement or he's not sponsoring this sermon or anything like that. But uh, though we did give copies to our parents a couple of years ago, it really is helpful. But my point is to get you to consider what you would say. Where would you land? What would be the last thing that you'd say to your kids, that you'd say to your spouse, that you'd say to your friends? What's the topic that you would end on? Well, Paul ends on prayer. We said from the beginning that this book pretty cleanly breaks into two halves, right? The first three chapters are devoted to doctrine, the last three are devoted to duty, and there's no more vital duty in the life of a Christian than prayer. Let me give you a quick definition of prayer just to make sure that we're on the same page. It's what I love about our gatherings is that we have people who have been in church hundreds of times and people who have been in the church just a handful of times, so it's helpful for us uh, to pause with some of these core doctrines and, and talk for just a minute specifically about what we mean. So what is prayer in its most simple form? It is bringing something before God. Specifically, prayer is asking God to do what God has already promised to do. It's modeled for us all over Scripture, from Abraham in Genesis to Moses in Exodus, is prominent in the life of King David. We see it in the Psalms and the prophets. And Jesus himself prayed and prayed often, and so did the disciples in the early church. So as Paul closes out this letter that he left behind for the church at Ephesus and for the church at Centralia and all the churches in between, what does he leave us with? What is the thing that he ends on? He ends on prayer. More directly, six truths about the duty of Christian prayer that we'll study together today. First, look at verse 19 where we see that prayer is a weapon. He says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Remember the context of this passage. Last week, uh, Skylar, who just prayed, he, he covered what it means for us to take up the armor of God. The passage was set in motion back in verse 11 where Paul writes, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And that's still the setting into which Paul is writing about prayer. We, we need prayer. We must pray if we're going to stand against the schemes of Satan. John Piper pastored Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis for 33 years, and in his last sermon on missions that he preached as their pastor, he had this to say about how we deploy prayer as a spiritual weapon. He said, Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. Prayer is for mission. It is mainly for those on the front lines of the war effort to call into headquarters to send help. One of the reasons our prayer malfunctions is that we 
try to treat it like a domestic intercom for calling the butler for another pillow in the den, rather than treating it as a wartime walkie-talkie for calling down the power of the Holy Spirit in the battle for souls. So there are six pieces of spiritual armor that Skylar led us through last week, and really prayer in so many ways is the seventh. It is the very air we breathe as God's people. We can never forget, church, that we're at war spiritually. Paul outlined our, our brokenness early on in Ephesians, and he, he told us how, I mean, very bluntly in chapter 2, you were dead in trespass sins. Ephesians 2.1, you can read it just a page or so back from what we read this morning. What he means is that the sin that we committed, and sin is anything that breaks God's law, lying, cheating, anger, lust, etc., we're, we're all guilty of sin. The sin we committed earned our death. So based on our own actions, we're dead. But Ephesians 2.4 brings us that great news of the gospel because of great, God's great love for us. He made us alive in Christ. That means instead of giving us death, which is what we earn, He gave those who belong to Him eternal life, not based on what we did, but based on what Christ did. Christ lived and died a sacrificial, uh, lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death. And that sacrifice is applied to everyone who believes in Him. And here's where we really see how powerful a weapon prayer is, though, church. How, how powerful is prayer? It is the way that the redemption that Christ earned for us is applied. You see, your, your life in Christ, your Christian life begins in prayer. Listen to John 1, or 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is talking about prayer, not confessing to another person, but bringing our sin before God, repenting of it, which means turning away from it, and trusting that God will save us. Prayer is how your relationship with God begins, and it's such a powerful weapon that it brings you from death to life. We can't forget, church, that we are on a wartime footing when it comes to Prayer. The, the church in Ukraine is meeting this morning, but it meets in very different circumstances than the church in the United States, right? We're not worried about air raid sirens or what the army is doing outside. We're not worried about any of those things because we're quite comfortable here in this room. I, I say quite comfortable. Baptist in this room. Somebody's hot, somebody's cold, somebody's comfortable, somebody's not. Many of us, though, many of us are quite comfortable in this space this morning. But a church on a real wartime footing always kind of has an ear on the door, always kind of has an eye toward the sky. We can't forget, church, that when it comes to prayer, we are on a wartime footing. But like any weapon, there's some training involved. See, the more you use it, the more comfortable you are with it, the more effective you are with it. So we need to see that it's the Holy Spirit who guides our prayers, who shapes our prayer life. That's verse 18. Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit. That means that our prayer is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I remember the, the first time that I put on glasses. A lot of you probably haven't seen me without glasses because I wear them all the time now. But I never went to the eye doctor in my life until I was 28 years old. We used to be, for those of you who don't know us, we used to be foreign missions in a land called Iowa. And up there, um, we would go back. Sorry, that's Isla for those of you that um, are. Anyway, um. I say we were four missionaries because we lived an hour and a half from the nearest Cracker Barrel. It was a hard time, uh, but the Lord rescued us back to the south, and we praise Him for it. Um, anyway, uh, 
we would travel back to our family in Tennessee, in, in the Lord's country, quite often when we lived up there. And we would drive at night. I'd never been to the eye doctor in my life. Um, it was, you know, it's not broke, don't fix it. That's our motto. And so uh, my eyes seemed to work fine. And for a few years, I lied and said my eyes worked fine. And occasionally the kids were real small then, so we'd drive back home at night. Uh, and when we were, you know, it was getting close to time to get gas, I would have to wake Monica up to tell me what the road sign said so I know where we should stop. Uh, it's at that point that I thought, you know, those eye doctors, they probably know what they're talking about. And so I went to the eye doctor, and they said, yeah, you're blind, uh, and you need glasses, and so they mailed those to me. And I remember the day that they came, we were living out in the country, um, just cornfield all around. It was in late spring, because they, they'd planted the corn, and they just started to sprout. And so I was at the kitchen counter, and I took the glasses out of the packaging, and and I was looking out the window, and I could see that there were rows of corn starting to sprout out there. And, and I, I mean, you know, there's dirt, and it's green, and you, know, you just see, see, kind of see some lines of green there. And I remember putting the glasses on, and the lines of green went to actual plants with leaves. And you, I could see them from the window. It was amazing. It's like, wow, I was blind. And now I see. I didn't sing, which everyone in the house appreciated at the time. Actually, it was only me in the house, but I don't even sing when it's just me. So um, praying in the Spirit is a little bit like that. We, we want to pray in such a way that we see things through the lens of the Holy Spirit. We see things the way that God sees them. That's what we want our prayer to be like. We want our prayer to be through the lens of the Holy Spirit. We want to see the world the way the Spirit does. And if that sounds insanely difficult, it should. But don't worry, because God does the heavy lifting for us. Listen to Romans 8, where Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us, for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit does two things in those verses. First, he helps us in our weakness. That's physical. When you don't have the energy to pray, when you hurt too much, when you're too broken emotionally to pray, the Holy Spirit steps in and supernaturally provides you the motivation to pray anyway. But not just a, um, to pray in a manner that checks a box. No, we've all done that. I know I should pray today, so dear Lord, help me. Amen, we're done, right? Uh, or not like the, I mean, it's final season, high school and college students, right? Some of those foxhole prayers that we pray, Lord, if I can just pass algebra this one time, I'll never sin again. You know, the, it's not just those prayers. The Holy Spirit allows us, gives us the strength to, to pray more robustly, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't feel like we have the energy or the desire to pray expectantly, to pray with full faith and confidence that our prayers are heard, even in those moments where it feels like they're just bouncing off the ceiling. But he doesn't just give us motivation. No, Paul says in that text that he also gives us content. If you look back at that verse, it says that he helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray for as we should. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to reveal what we should be praying for. It's, it's unlikely that you're ever going to hear an audible voice telling you how to pray, but through the Holy Spirit, God will guide you to the prayers you need to be praying. And not only that, but Paul says in the text that the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf. You see, you can't fail when you pray, church. By the way, I just want to give you the, the quick takeaway here. If you just hear one thing and take it away from this message uh, this morning, just two words, pray 
more. It doesn't matter if you're praying great or praying eloquently or flowery or all those things. Really just pray more because success isn't on you. Success is obedience. That's all you have to to do. You can't fail when you pray because success isn't on you. God has success covered. You just have to show up. Just show up for prayer. When we talk about prayer as a duty, showing up is job number one. Just pray. And I know you don't, may not feel comfortable with it. You may not even know how. You don't have time. You're tired. There are as many excuses as there are Christmas lights out on the square. Go count them. There's millions. But the Holy Spirit covers every excuse. Church, just pray. And as Paul says, pray continuously. Verse 18, pray at all times. He goes on to say, stay alert with all perseverance. Pray at all times, Paul says in verse 18. Then, then stay alert. What, what does it mean to, to pray all the time? We, we actually may have a, a lot more people praying than Columbia from time to time. And the more that I'm driving in Columbia, the more that I'm convinced that those people are driving with their eyes closed. So they must be praying. I want to believe the best about people. They must be praying. Because I've driven near them. Okay, pray, pray while you're doing everything. Pray while you're driving. Just don't pray with your eyes closed. Please, pray at all times. Is, is it even possible to pray all the time? No, I mean, the early church did it. Acts 1-4 says they were all continually united in prayer. That doesn't mean their lives were one long, continuous prayer. But I love the way Kent Hughes puts it in his commentary in Ephesians. He says, prayer is not so much the articulation of words as the posture of the heart. It's a posture that keeps us in constant dialogue with God. We're sharing our feelings, we're sharing our fears, we're sharing our joys and our sorrows with Him in real time as they happen. It's a continued conversation where, where everything that goes on in here, we're sharing with God. And it's, it's an area that we grow in, it's an area that we, we can grow in, it's it's a skill that has to be developed. But here's, here's what I've decided my goal is in prayer. I want to pray like my daughter Sophie tells stories. Now here's what that means for those of you that don't know her. See, I could tell you, so yesterday we drove to Fayette for a basketball game. And if I'm telling you the story, that's the end of it. Right? We got in the car, we drove to Fayette for a game. If Sophie were to tell you the story, one, freshmen, get comfortable. She's going to tell you everything. She's a great storyteller, not a discerning storyteller, but a great storyteller. She's going to tell you that she wore long pants yesterday because I made her because it's cold outside. When she goes to games, she has to wear a coat, even though she has on a uniform and long sleeves already. I make her wear a coat. We got in the van, and, and when we got in the van, we turned on music because that's what we do when we go to a basketball game. When we drove from here, we drove through Sturgeon, and we got to, to Harrisburg, and on the way to Harrisburg, the road goes like this a whole lot, and she was very scared. I thought she was going to get car sick, but she didn't get car sick, and she'll continue telling you the story of everything that happened and all of the songs that we listened to and all the cows that we passed, and she named them every one. I know that she did, and she'll continue the story, and eventually we will get there to where we are going. And I love the way that she tells stories. Most of the time. And she'll grow in her storytelling ability as, uh, as time goes, at least in the discernment piece. But I want to pray like Sophie tells stories. That's praying continuously. I want to bring God in on everything that is going on in here. That's what it means to pray it's an open line of communication that makes us much more effective, especially when it comes to this next truth about prayer, and that's that prayer intercedes. 
You see, in verse 19, Paul says to stay alert with intercession for all the saints. The word for intercession means to, to ask on someone else's behalf. And it's, it's pictured for us in the Old Testament beautifully and brutally. See, if you look at Ezekiel 22, you'll find that God's people had rebelled against Him And in their rebellion against him, as he's pronouncing punishment on them, listen to what he says. He says, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. But I found no one. A wall was the strongest defense a city had in ancient times. And when you were at war, a gap in the wall was the worst thing that could happen. If there was a gap, the enemy would pour in and they would overwhelm you. Interceding means standing in the gap to protect someone else. If you're into sports analogies, it's an offensive lineman, right? Just one out of line, one not on the line, one falls down and quarterback's head comes off, right? Because people are coming after him. What intercessory prayer is, is standing in that gap to protect someone else. You're praying for, one, uh, praying for someone else, and specifically in the text, you're praying for other Christians. Paul says intercession for the saints. It's good to pray for the lost. We'll get there. But Paul says to pray for the saints here. That's just Paul's word for other Christians. Pray for one another. We should regularly pray for the spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being of the people around us. We read our church covenant together earlier, our membership covenant, the promise we make each other when we form together as a church. And, and a huge part of that is, is praying for one another, praying that each other are growing, praying that each other is safe, that each other is spiritually healthy, that we're holy. And we go back and look at the, the prayers Paul records for us. He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and a ton of time in his letters are spent writing down his prayers. If you want to practice this, here's something simple I'd recommend. Take your Sunday school class. Take your small group Bible study, whatever you're, you're in. This group of people that you're regularly with. And take one of Paul's prayers. Let's use uh, uh, Philippians uh, 1, 9 through 11, for example, because I think it's great and it's typical of Paul's prayers. And pray that for every single person in your small group, in your Sunday school class, whatever group you're in, every day. Paul writes, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In fact, after the first year, we'll be doing new print directories, not pictures, just names and contact info for this very purpose, church, so that you can pray specifically for each other, for our physical health, for our spiritual health. Just go back to that prayer and insert a name there. Linda's on the front row. So Lord, I pray that your love will keep on growing and that Linda will grow uh, in love and knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the, she may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ and then go on to the very next person and pray that same thing for them. We're really good, I think as a church, we're good at praying for one another physically but I think if we're, going to pray, if we're going to pray real intercessory prayers for each other, we've got to pray a lot more spiritually as well. I agree with R.C. Sproul who said there's nothing more thrilling in the Christian life than to pray specifically, to express a desire, to make a request or petition to God, and then see Him answer that request specifically and clearly. I remember a couple of years ago, we were here on a Sunday morning, 
And as I walked around the corner toward the fellowship hall, I noticed that one of our deacons, Steve Gordon, he's hyped up, which is not unusual. But he's hyped up even for Steve. He's got a little bounce in his step. Steve, what's going on? Well, his, his son was baptized that day. He was pumped. His Sunday school class had been praying for years that this would happen. And seeing that prayer answered, you could physically see it on Steve. He was excited, even for Steve. I was like, man, did he get into the, the non-decaf coffee? Like, what happened with Steve this morning? No, it was the Holy Spirit working in him, seeing this, this as they stood in the gap, as his Sunday school class stood in the gap over years for his son, seeing God answer that prayer. Church, there's nothing more beautiful than that. And interceding for each other actually causes your love for one another to grow, which brings us to the next truth, and that's that prayer builds unity. Look at verse 21. It says, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant of the Lord, he'll tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I'm sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. So Tychicus left Rome. He carried this letter and a few others from Paul out to their destinations, and when the church received the letter, it would have been read out loud in a service just like this one, but that's not all Tychicus would do. He would give them an update on Paul and everyone else in Rome so they could know specifically how to pray for them. You see, prayer brings you closer. Church, it's really hard to stay mad at someone, to stay upset with someone that you pray for every day. The Holy Spirit has a way of growing your love and, and shrinking your frustration that will exponentially grow your unity with other believers. It's true in friendship. It's true in marriage. It's true in the local church. Believe it or not, we're going to be upset with each other from time to time. No, I know. I know. Look, we're in a 150-year-old Baptist church. I know that none of us have ever been upset with each other over everything. We've never had any disagree. We've never disagreed. We're basically the Partridge family up in here. Okay, maybe not always. In fact, I think the unity of our church is fantastic right now, but just file this away in case something happens down the road that's never happened before, and that's that we get mad at each other. You see, if you're committed to praying, and praying well for one another, it will radically change the way that you have conflict. Conflict with your spouse, conflict with your family, conflict with your friends, even conflict in the local church. Prayer brings you into the presence of God in a special way, and you just won't leave His presence unchanged. Church, let's not forget how profound a thing is taking place when you pray. You, little old insignificant you, at any point in time, have access to the One who created everything around you simply by speaking it into existence. I, I can't get a human on the phone at the cable company. Alright? But I can get God right now. That's amazing. That's powerful. And entering into the powerful presence of God to pray for people in this room is one of the most important things you can do when it comes to building community, to building unity within a local church. But it stretches far beyond the walls of your local congregation. Prayer is great commission work too. Listen to verse 20. Paul says, For this I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Ambassador in change is a bizarre phrase, isn't it? Ambassadors are representatives of one nation living in another. They're honored. They often have diplomatic immunity. You see, but Paul represents God's kingdom, and that made him an enemy to the Roman Empire, so he's writing this letter 
as a prisoner, but that doesn't stop him from fulfilling his duty. I say that prayer is great commission work. Great commission is the way that we talk about the job description God has given to his followers. It's found in Matthew 28, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is work that will take a lifetime to finish, but it begins with proclamation of the gospel, of the good news that God has provided salvation through Christ's substitutionary death and bodily resurrection. He, he provides this as a gracious gift to be received by faith the Holy Spirit, and it's open to anyone who repents of their sins and trusts Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Paul is asking the Ephesians to pray that he would be bold enough to share that truth in prison. So church, let's be bold in praying for each other to share that truth, to be bold in making disciples wherever we go. Let's be bold in praying because the Great Commission is the primary purpose God has left the church in the world to fulfill. And so let me give you three ways that we can pray Great Commission prayers as we wrap up our time together today, our time in this great letter. The first is to pray for your own boldness. You can pray a little selfishly here. You need to be bold to share the gospel message with the lost people in your life. You know who they are. And if you're not engaging them in gospel conversations, you're neglecting your duty as a follower of Jesus. So pray that God, like Paul here, will make you bold to share the gospel. That your heart would swell with so much love for the lost people around you that you're willing to risk the awkwardness, the offense, and the danger of sharing the gospel because you truly believe that the alternative to them not trusting Christ is an eternity in hell, and you care about them enough that you don't want that to happen, so you pray for boldness to share the gospel in a loving way. Second, pray for the boldness of the people sitting around you just as you intercede for the people that are closest to you. Pray for their gospel boldness as well. You think, oh, they, don't, they know the gospel. They're pretty bold. They know their stuff. They don't really need me praying that for them, do they? They ain't Paul, right? Paul is asking the church to pray for his boldness here. So how much more so should we pray for one another to be bold? Paul didn't do anything that wasn't bold, right? He's in jail because he got himself put in jail for good reasons. But he went to Jerusalem knowing the chains were waiting on him there, and he went anyway. He's a bold guy, and he said, hey, just pray that I'd be bold enough to share the gospel. So if Paul needed it, how much more do the people in your Sunday school class or your small group or you yourself, how much do we need it? And third, pray for the boldness of the the 3,000 plus missionaries who are deployed globally through the International Mission Board and the 6,000 missionaries who are on this continent through the North American Mission Board, pray for them generally. And if you know them, pray for them, by, uh, one or two of them uh, by name. We'll, we'll do a better job in the days ahead of getting some of their names in front of you. You probably uh, don't know many of those missionaries, but you do know the ones that we directly support through our church, right? Scott Westfall and Kayla Meyer and our friends in Sao Tome das Letras who are part of a church plant there in Brazil. Pray for their boldness. They're all ministering among a high percentage of lost people in their particular environments. And so pray for them to be bold in sharing the gospel and making disciples. 
see an active and a vibrant and a thriving prayer life as a way that you can make an impact far beyond anything you could ever imagine on your own. That's why I thought about this book this week, because it's something that you do on your own, you do in the quiet of your bedroom or of your kitchen or when other people aren't around. You, you write it then, and you and then when you're long gone, the impact of your words bring about emotion and joy and maybe pain, but, but mostly good things in the life of those that the book is left for. Church, your prayer life, most of us aren't ever going to see it, but we're going to feel the impact of it if God is working to grow each and every one of us in this Christian duty of prayer. And it's one of the ways that I hope God uses the people in this room to build a strong foundation for future believers here is through the way that we, as a praying people, grow in our holiness, grow in our love for each other, and grow in our love for the people around us. Would you pray with me? God, we come before You in prayer because this is how You've told us to come before You, God. And you've, you've told us to come with hearts full and hands open, God. We, we have nothing to give You but ourselves. And so, God, we ask that in light of Your Word, in light of Your words through the Apostle Paul today, that You would grow our hearts to spend time in Your presence through prayer. That we would make we would make our needs known. God, You have promised to work in us as we pray. And so, God, as we, as we come before You, we just, we're asking that You would hold true to Your Word, that Your promise would be true for us today. God, that You would be at work in our lives. Change us for Your glory. Because we know that's for our good and it's for the good of the people around us. God, we thank You for this wonderful letter that You've preserved for some 2,000 years for us to be able to study today. God, we know that they are words written by man because they are Your words, living and vibrant and able to change our hearts through Your Holy Spirit. And we just pray that's what You do today. In Your Son's name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again. The